Father, we love you. Your plan is perfect. Uh, You've done so much for us, though we don't deserve you at all, and we're grateful. We see in the end times that you have a plan for the end, and we do want to learn as much about it as we possibly can, especially this incredible event, incredible event called the rapture. So please teach us this morning and prepare us, equip us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn to Mark chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 24 through 27. That's page 578 in the Bibles that we give away. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. And trust me, today you want a Bible, okay? So everybody, you really, we're going to go through so many scriptures, you're going to be wanting to turn, 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 and taking some, some notes on this, okay? So we're probably, we're probably reading more scripture today than I think I've ever preached, okay? So it's, it's all pretty much just gonna be the scriptures instead of me saying anything, almost. <laughs> okay, so, so we're looking at this passage, and uh, by the way, we're going through the Gospel of Mark verse by verse, and we, but we've been camping out at chapter 13 because chapter 13 describes, it's Jesus, his understanding of what the end times are gonna be like. And so we were looking at four sermons on this, four, because there's four major sections within this chapter on this. We've already looked at the birth pains that, that the Bible teaches, how we can know if we're getting close to the end. We've looked at the tribulation, the great tribulation, how bad it's going to be. And today we're going to look at the rapture. Now, uh, before we begin, though, I want us to watch this video clip. Awake, O sleeper, in the valley of bones, born dead in sin, wandering alone. Awake, O sleeper, you go your own way, thinking pleasure is freedom, but covered in chains. Awake, O sleeper, from dust you were made. This life is a vapor, and it quickly fades. Awake, O sleeper, you try to live right, but darkness prevails, overcomes all your might. Awake, O sleeper, before all is lost. Trust not in yourself, but blood on a cross. Awake, O sleeper, and turn to the one who loved so amazing, surrendered his son. Awake, O sleeper, in the valley of bones, rescued from sin, no longer alone.
sleeper. The world is heading towards a cosmic battle. We don't, we don't fight with weapons of this world. We present the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. But judgment is coming. But God will protect his people and ultimately rapture them out as he judges the world. But when, how, what will it be like? Let's look at our passage. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now here we see... Cosmic chaos and the rapture. How does it all fit in? Awake, O sleeper, and get ready. First of all, let's look at the cosmic chaos. He describes it with the sun being darkened, the moon shedding its light, the stars falling from the sky, the heavens being shaken. And now this is poetic language and imagery being used, but that doesn't mean serious cosmic chaos isn't coming. There will definitely be a light show going on. That's what we're describing here. That's what we're seeing here. And by the way, this kind of language is found throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And we see it over and over referring as a sign of judgment. So let's look at one example of that in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. Here, Zephaniah is speaking of the great day of the Lord at the end of time. He says, the great day of the Lord is near, near and rapidly approaching. Listen, the day of the Lord, then the warrior's cry is bitter. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high corner towers. I will bring distress on mankind, and they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Their silver and their gold will be unable to rescue them on the day of the Lord's wrath. The whole earth will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy for he will make a complete, yes, a horrifying end of all the inhabitants of the earth, the earth dwellers that we've been seeing in the book of Revelation. So we see here that the cosmic chaos of our passage is referring to a sign of judgment. And yet people today are whistling in the dark. They're defunding the police, thinking that if we just close our eyes, everything will be okay. That we can bring utopia by willing it into existence without repentance. 
It's a fool's errand. God has a different view. Judgment is coming. Wake, O sleeper. But also, when you look at this cosmic chaos language in the Bible, once again, especially in the Old Testament, you see, I believe that it's also a sign of the greatest move of the Holy Spirit ever. You say, how do you see that, Larry? Well, if you look at Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, and you don't need to turn there because Joel chapter 2 is actually quoted in Acts chapter 2. So we might as well just read it once instead of reading it twice. But the context of Joel chapter 2 is the end of the world. And so we see in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes this passage. Now, let me give you the context of Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, this is the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended up to heaven, then he pours out his spirit upon his initial believers. And in verses 1 through 13, we see this incredible experience where they all start speaking in tongues, the place is shaken, all kinds of crazy stuff happens. And then verses 14 and 15, some people see it, they respond, they, some of them go, wow, others go, I think they're drunk. Okay, so that's the, that's the context of Peter. Now Peter steps up and he explains. Look at what he says about this Pentecost experience. Verse 16. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Okay, do you see what he's saying? And then he goes on to quote Joel, but notice here he says, on the contrary, this, what they saw, all of them speaking in tongues, place shaking, all the crazy stuff, he says, this is that. The stuff that Joel predicted in Joel chapter 2, this is that. That's what he's saying. And then he quotes it. Look at And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women. And they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see what he's saying here? He's saying that in the last days, now by the way, have we passed the last days yet? What he's indicating here is, though, that the last days began on the day of Pentecost because he says this is that. So the last days began at the day of Pentecost, and he says these kinds of things are going to happen culminating in these very last days with the sun turn into darkness and the moon, etc., the stuff we're seeing in our own passage in the Gospel of Mark. Okay, So in the very last days, so this kind of stuff, this miraculous stuff, he says, prophecy, dreams, visions. He's clearly referring to tongues as well because he's spoken of that as what they were doing in the first part of verses 1 through 13. So what we can be sure of from this is that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. 
because we haven't passed the last days. But I believe, because of the context, because of Joel chapter 2, which is referring to the very end, that we can expect this to be the highest, the most prevalent at the very end. So in my opinion, the greatest revival of all, the greatest move of the Holy Spirit of all, happens in the end. By the way, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 through 12, would also indicate that the spiritual gifts are still for today, tongues, uh, dreams, visions, etc., prophecy, because in 1 Corinthians 13, it says these things will pass away when the perfect comes. The context is clearly the, the perfect is Jesus coming back. So the second coming, that's when you don't need this stuff anymore because you got Jesus here, (laughs) okay? So we see here the gifts, the spiritual gifts seem to be for today, and we see at the very end, I believe, is the greatest revival of all. In fact, in the book of Revelation, I believe we see three revivals. Now, this is my way of looking at this, and I recognize the book of Revelation is not the easiest book to interpret, so you hold things like this rather than like this when you're talking about this is what the book of Revelation teaches, but as we walk through it, I do believe we see three revivals in Revelation where we see the the great commission being fulfilled. Look at the first one, Revelation chapter 7, Verses 9 through 14. Revelation is the last book of the Bible. So the end of the book. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. By the way, right before that, you had the 144,000 Jews getting saved. Uh, according to verse chapter 14, these are the first fruits of the Jews getting saved. So in other words, 144,000 get saved and then a bunch more Jews. In fact, all Israel gets saved in the end, fulfilling uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. So we see this, that's revival in itself, by the way. But now look at verse nine, what he says. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So here's a group of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language, not just the Jewish people, but from every nation, because God wants everyone to be reached. If you remember the Great Commission in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples. If you remember, in fact, look at, well, you don't have to turn there, but let me read Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus, that's Matthew's rendition of this chapter the same, same stuff going on in Mark 13. Matthew 24, he says, one of the, the last birth pain, he says, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. When the Great Commission takes place, then the end comes. And the Great Commission is where people from every nation, tribe, people, and language A number, it says here in verse 9, that people can't even count. That's how many. Can't even count them. It's so many. The greatest revival of all, I would see, ever to happen on the planet. Can't even count them. Who are these people? I'm glad you asked. 
Let's read on and see. He says in verse 10, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes, and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. That was a good answer. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They were martyrs during the great tribulation. That means a number of people so large that they can't even count it are gonna get saved during the tribulation and many of them get killed and they're up in, up in heaven with the Lord at this point in time because, because they died as martyrs. But that is revival. That is a lot of people coming to Jesus from every tongue, nation, tribe, and people. This is God's plan. Now, that's just the first revival. Let's look at the second one. Chapter 11, verses 11 through 13 of the book of Revelation. Now this, the context here is the two witnesses. Okay, so if we had time to read the whole chapter, we'd see that there's gonna be these two witnesses that are gonna appear. They're gonna be doing miracles, it says, because miracles are still for today. So they're gonna be doing miracles, and then the Antichrist is gonna kill them and leave their bodies dead in the streets of Jerusalem. Okay, now pick up, Verse 11, but after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. Great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Did you see that? What happens when they see these guys come back to life and then go right up to heaven? They're going to go, whoa. Okay, that's what they do, and they're, and they're shocked. It says they're terrified, but they give glory to God. They repented of their sins, and how many? It doesn't say how many, but you know how many were watching? It says the whole world was watching. How could they, the whole world be watching? Probably on TV, okay, or what's... Instagram or whatever those other things are, okay? You know what I'm saying? Okay, but the whole world's watching, the whole world's seeing, and the whole world goes, whoa. Another revival happens. People repent. Now notice here, God, throughout his judgment, he wants people to repent. He's giving them, even to the very last moment, an opportunity to turn to Jesus because God is merciful, So we see here, let's look at the last one. Chapter 14, verses six and seven. Chapter 14, 
Verse six, it says, then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. See that, that phrase again? This is God's plan to reach everybody. He spoke with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Now, this passage doesn't say a bunch of people get saved, but I think a bunch of people get saved because, okay, we've already had the Jews getting saved and going out and telling everybody. We have this great multitude coming to Christ. We have this other event, and now we got an angel, an angel proclaiming the gospel. Now, if you're watching all this stuff, Bad stuff's happened to y'all. You know, got the seven uh, seals and then the seven trumpets. You know, you're seeing all this stuff take place and then an angel comes along and pronounces the gospel. Do you think you're gonna listen? Okay, at least some are. And, but look at the gospel he preaches. That's what's interesting. He doesn't say, Jesus loves you. Say this little prayer and you won't have to go to hell. He does not say that. Look what he says. He says, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now, I'm sure he said more than that for the gospel. It spoke of how Jesus died on the cross for our sins, etc. But he's calling us. He's calling them to repent, isn't he? And so we see these at least perhaps three revivals going on in the Great Tribulation, but Satan will have a counter to it, and I do believe we see in the Bible three anti-revivals as well in the book of Revelation. Three anti-revivals, the opposite, where the people do not repent. Look at the first one, chapter six, verses 12 through 17. I told you we'd be reading a lot of Bible today. Chapter six, verse 12. This is the sixth seal. Then I saw him open the sixth seal. A violent earthquake occurred. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of hair. The entire moon became like blood. The stars of heaven fell on the earth as a fig tree drops its unripe figs when shaken by a high wind. Does this sound like our passage in Mark? It does, doesn't it? The sky was split apart like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was moved from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb because the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Notice they're not repenting. They're actually hiding from God. Isaiah 2 brings this out as well, that this would happen in the end of time. So no repentance. We see another anti-revival in chapter 9, verse 20. And with this anti-revival, we see an opposition. We see God doing great things and drawing people to himself, but also the opposition refusing to repent and attacking the believers of that time. But look at chapter 9, verse 20. It says, The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent 
of the works of their hands to stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. You know, the greatest tragedy right now, I believe, is the senseless murders of the innocent babies before they're even born. But God is a God of forgiveness. And there are many people who, after committing those tragic acts, are repenting and placing their faith in Jesus. And places like the Pregnancy Resource Center is helping people, helping people overcome that and, and helping them make the decision beforehand not to follow through with that. But those who refuse to repent, that's what we're seeing here. This is the anti-revival. This is after the sixth trumpet. Remember, the fourth trumpet was a celestial chaos. Now look at this last one, chapter 16, verses 8 through 11. Revelation. We have the fourth and the fifth bowl, the final bowls of God's wrath. It says the fourth bowl poured... The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire. And people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. And so we see the great revival and the great anti-revivals taking place in this last of the cosmic battle of, between God and Satan and the earth dwellers. Awake, O sleeper, and don't miss out on the greatest revival time of the planet. So that's the first section back in Mark, chapter 13. We see the cosmic chaos, but then we see the rapture, okay? This is what we want to talk about. Verses 26 and 27, it says, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 uh, includes this. Uh, let me read Matthew 24 as he includes the trumpets and all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, let's see here, uh, verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. The rapture. Now the word rapture is not in the Bible, uh, but the concept is when we get poofed up to meet the Lord 
in the air. It's going to be glorious. <laughs> John was telling me uh, earlier today, he says, you know, I was telling him I was going to preach on the rapture, and he says, bring it. And I said, I don't have that power. <laughs> God's going to bring it in his time. But the rapture, uh, but where? I mean, when? How? How's all this going to work out? Well, I think it's best if we compare scriptures on the rapture. If you want to be, make a wise choice on what you believe about the rapture, you want to make sure it fits with scripture, not what you've been told by others or what you want it to be, okay? We all got these plans and desires, okay? What does the scripture say? So let's look at all the passages of scripture that talk about the rapture. Now, the first one we'll look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. Now, of all of those Christians who believe in a rapture, all of them believe this passage is referring to the rapture. And I say all those who believe in the rapture, believe it or not, there are Christians who don't believe in a rapture. Uh, they've got their amillennial views, and et cetera, et cetera. But as we've seen, and as we're going to see in this passage, we go up, okay? So there is a rapture, but let's look at it. So, But all of those who believe in a rapture believe that this passage is referring to the rapture. Let's look at what it says. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. He's meaning people, Christians who have died. So that you will not grieve like the rest, who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So now notice what he's saying here. When Jesus comes back, he's gonna bring with him those who have already died. If you die before Jesus comes back, your spirit goes to be right with the Lord. You're, you're in the presence of the Lord, and you go right to be with him just like that. Your spirit, not your body, okay? So you go to be with the Lord, and when he comes back, he's bringing you back with him. That's what he says there. Now he goes on. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So now he's talking about people who are still alive at his coming. By the way, that word coming is parousia. It's a eschatological, technical term for the second coming of Christ, for the coming of Christ, okay? So those who have, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, that's their bodies, they're already with him, he's bringing them with him, but their bodies come out of the grounds and they get new bodies. The new bodies are bodies that are, Awesome, we're gonna look at that when we get to 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, so let me not get ahead of myself. So, the, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So there we see this rapture concept here. Now, in this passage, it doesn't say anything about how it fits in with the tribulation period and all that. It just says it's gonna happen, right? So it doesn't give us any indication. So let's look at some more. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 58. Now this also is a passage that all those who believe in a rapture believe that this is referring to the rapture. 
Uh, I haven't met anybody who didn't, so that's why I say that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. He says, listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. Now, that was a sign that used to be on our nursery. <laughs> we may not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Okay. Anyway. All right. Just kidding. Just kidding. Where was I? I got sidetracked. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. We get new bodies that can't be broken. This is awesome, okay? This is going to be glorious. The older you get, the more glorious this becomes, okay? This is, this is wonderful. This is God's promise to us. We get incorruptible, immortal bodies because God's plan is that we live on the planet. We live in the flesh, flesh and nature. This is not a bad thing. This is God's original design. And here he says, we get new bodies. Now watch. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. First Thessalonians 4, he says, in light of this, encourage one another. First Corinthians 15, he says, in light of this, work hard for the Lord. Excel in the Lord's work until he comes. Now, let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We looked at this last week, so I don't want to read the whole passage, but just to remind you of the context, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord, that's parousia, same Greek word, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, okay, the rapture is gathering his people to him. So concerning the coming of the Lord and our being gathered to him, he says, don't worry about it. Some people were thinking that uh, it had already happened, and so they're like, bummer, I missed the rapture. Okay, you know, that's a, so he says, don't worry, because it's not gonna happen until, and skip to verse eight, and then the lawless one will be revealed the Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming, parousia. So at his coming, the parousia, he destroys the Antichrist. By the, the, this is the same person, the lawless one, as the Antichrist or the beast in the book of Revelation. But notice here, concerning the coming of our Lord and our being gathered to him, it doesn't happen until... Antichrist is destroyed at Jesus' coming. And so when we look at these passages of Scripture, we wonder, well, some of them indicate when it happens. Others don't. 
What does the book of Revelation say? Does the book of Revelation record the rapture? And yes, it does. Look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 14. He mentions it in chapter 1, verse 7. Now look at it in chapter 14. All the way through, if you're reading through Revelation, you see the, first of all, the uh, seven seals of God's judgment. Then you see the seven trumpets of God's judgment. And now we have this interlude, chapter 13. He speaks of the beast who makes war against the saints and overcomes them. That's how bad it will be during this time period. And then in chapter 14, verse 14, we see the rapture. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man, Jesus, was seated on the cloud with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, Use your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Here we see Jesus harvest his people. This is the rapture. Look at verse 17. Then another angel, who also had a sharp sickle, came out of the temple in heaven. Yet another angel, who had authority over fire, came from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle. Use your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the vineyard of the earth, because its grapes have ripened. So the angel swung his sickle at the earth and gathered the grapes from the vineyard of the earth, and he threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. Then the press was trampled outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press up to the horse's bridles for about 180 miles. We see first the first sickle, gather God's people. The second sickle, gather the bad guys, and they experience the wrath of God. And then in chapter 16, he, he goes on and describes the seven final bowls of God's wrath. Now, if we take all these scriptures together, the list of events that we see in the rapture, we see the coming of Jesus, the parousia. According to Titus chapter 2, verse 13, that is our blessed hope, the blessed hope of the second coming of Christ. We see the parousia. We see the gathering of the elect where God gathers them. We get raptured up to meet him in the air. By the way, the ancient Near Eastern practice for when a king was going to come to a particular city, the people would, first of all, build up the roads to prepare for the king, and then they would go out and meet the king when he was coming in order to bring him back in. And as they went out to meet him, as he's coming back in the city, they would be shouting and singing and dancing. It was very, very much a celebration time. So that was ancient Near Eastern practice, and that's what it seems to appear to be taking place is that we are raptured to meet him, and then he, I believe he pours out the final bowls of God's wrath, and then he brings us back down to reign on this earth for the millennium, period. Okay. We also see the cloud riding, 
Jesus riding on the clouds. By the way, this is a concept found throughout the Old Testament. The cloud riding, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, speaks of Jesus riding on the clouds. Nahum, chapter 1, 2 through 6, speaks of God riding in the clouds. So we have the cloud riding, we have the trumpets. Trumpets were used in the ancient times for both celebration and judgment, and I believe it's both going on here. We see seven trumpets in the book of Revelation, and right after the seventh trumpet, we saw the rapture. So, and then according to 1 Corinthians 15, it says at the last trumpet. So how many trumpets come after the last trumpet? It sounds like a silly question, but if it's a pre-tribulation rapture, you have to say seven more. You have to say that. And yet we see the seven trumpets and then the rapture in the book of Revelation, the book that is more complete about the end times events than any other book in the Bible, and yet its rapture happens in chapter 14, not at the beginning of the tribulation. So we see the passages that do indicate when. We see it's at the last trumpet. We see here it's just before the bowls in the book of Revelation. And we see in our own passage in Mark, chapter 13, verse 24, but in those days, after that tribulation, the tribulation he just spoke of, which is greater than any other tribulation ever to be or ever to come, in those days after that tribulation, you have the cosmic chaos, and you have the sun coming in the clouds with the angels. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, or 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, there is a shout. It's very loud. It's not a secret, quiet thing at all. We see all of this put together, uh, oh, and angels, sorry, didn't put that down there. So the question is when? Is it a pre-tribulation rapture? Many, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ believe that. I would dare say most of this church probably believes that, a pre-tribulation rapture. Some believe a mid-tribulation, that in the middle of the tribulation, were raptured. But we saw in the middle last week, we saw the middle of the tribulation. That's the abomination of desolation. Doesn't say anything about a rapture. Some believe it's at the end, what they call post-tribulation rapture. And then finally, the pre-wrath. That's what I'm, what I believe, what I think, what we've seen in the scriptures. That we go through the tribulation, most of it. At the very end, before those seven last bowls, which probably only take about a day, if you read them, we rapture up, pours out the bowls, then brings us back down. Now, I want you to ask yourself, because Christians, good, solid, Bible-believing Christians disagree on this subject. And so it's okay for us to agree, to disagree agreeably. But do you hold to your position because you don't want to go through the hard times or because you're convinced by Scripture? That's the question we want to ask. I would wholeheartedly endorse what the late Walter Martin used to say, pray for pre, but prepare for post. I hope I'm wrong. In fact, my friends who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, they tell me, Larry, you can go through the tribulation if you want. I actually do want to. 
If it's the way I've described it, if it's the greatest revival of all time, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, you know what? God never promised us that we were going to have this cushy, easy life. He said, it's going to be hard, and then you're going to die. Right? And then it's awesome. Okay? That's his promise. So if we have to go through tribulation, even martyrdom, but we get to see miracles, we get to see revival, we get to see the greatest revival of all, I'm signing up for that, okay? But, you know, I could be wrong. But I do believe this. Those who only preach a pre-tribulation rapture could be in for a rude awakening. And I don't tickle your ears. Never been accused of that. Preach the word. Judgment's coming. And I want to prepare you as best I can. And so, but I do want you to know this promise. We will not experience God's wrath. That is everywhere in Scripture. We see that in Romans 5.9. We see that in John 5.24. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. We will not experience the wrath of God. It very well could be like times past with Noah and the ark. The the whole world experienced the wrath of God. Noah was protected in the ark. He wasn't taken out of the world. Same with the the, uh, uh, Israelites and the plagues, the 10 plagues. They lived in the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen didn't experience the wrath. In fact, they, even in the ninth plague of darkness, it wasn't dark in Goshen. So in the midst of it, they didn't experience God's wrath. He will protect us through the storm. But that doesn't mean we won't be hurt. We need a theology of suffering as well as a theology of glory. God doesn't promise us that he's going to heal everybody, but he does some. We had two people. Yeah, uh, last Sunday, remember I had that word for the hearing? Two different people came up to me after the service. They said, during the service, my ear was piercing in pain, and when you prayed, it went away. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Now, we, we can't do that, though. That's entirely up to God if he wants to. We invite him. And he does it when he wants to. But we need to be, so a theology of glory, yes, God does great, incredible things, but a theology of suffering, we all will suffer very much in this life. And in history, the saints have been at their best when they helped people suffer well in his strength. We want to be a part of that. Awake. Oh, sleeper. Tough times are coming, but so is God. Bow to his majesty now. See him in all his glory. He is the majestic one. He is the awesome one. He is the cloud rider coming for his own and coming to judge. He ain't putting on a ritz. Our God is an awesome God. Let's pray. Father, we see...
promise and we see judgment. We know people in our own lives that have not put their trust in you. They're not following you right now. We're asking you to please have mercy on them. And we thank you that even in the midst of the judgment, we see mercy after mercy after mercy, chance after chance. So please, Lord, use us. Help us to be strong. Use us for your glory. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And if anyone's here who's not ready, but wants to get ready, wants to be ready, Lord, draw them to yourself today. I pray in Jesus' name.